We are in a revolution. But it is a revolution in which the side that fires the first shot loses. We will not fire any shots because our weapon is uncommon good sense. Hello and welcome to Tractor Time. Tractor Time is brought to you by Barn to Door and Acres USA, the voice of eco-agriculture. I'm your host, Ben Trollinger, editor of Acres USA magazine. On this episode, we're listening in on a recent virtual event for Andre Liu's new book, Growing Life, Regenerating Farming and Ranching. And he's getting a little help from his friends, Vandana Shiva and Ronnie Cummings. Liu, Shiva, and Cummings go way back and co-founded Regeneration International back in 2015. The organization promotes food, farming, and land use systems that regenerate and stabilize climate systems, the health of the planet, and people. In addition to being the international director for that group, Lou is also a farmer in Australia and the author of The Myth of Safe Pesticides and Poisoning Our Children. We here at Acres are proud to be the publisher of all of his books. I should also mention that he's speaking at our EcoAg conference in Columbus, Ohio in December. Go to ecoag.acresusa.com for more information on that. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, then you know Vandana Shiva. For those who don't, she's a world-renowned environmental thinker, activist, feminist, philosopher of science, writer, and science policy advocate. She's the founder of Navdanya Research Foundation for Science, Technology, and Ecology in India, and president of Navdanya International. She's a prolific writer, speaker, and author, and recipient of numerous awards. Find her books, Food, Farming, and Health, and Oneness versus the 1% in the AcresUSA.com bookstore. Ronnie Cummings is co-founder and international director of the Organic Consumers Association and its Mexico affiliate, Via Organica. Cummings has been active as a writer and activist since the 1960s. Over the past few decades, he's served as director of U.S. and international campaigns dealing with sustainable agriculture issues, including food safety, genetic engineering, factory farming, and global warming. You can find his book, Grassroots Rising, a call to action on climate, farming, food, and a Green New Deal in the AcresUSA.com bookstore. I'm thrilled to share this talk with you today, but before that, we're going to check in with the fine folks at the Rodale Institute. Welcome to a monthly segment we're calling Transition Land. It's a collaboration with the Rodale Institute, and we're focusing on helping conventional farmers transition to regenerative organic practices. Welcome back, Christy. Hi, Ben. It's great to be back. We've been talking a lot about cover crops for the last several episodes. On this installment, we're switching gears just a little bit, and we're diving into the life below ground. Um, Should we think about soil like we think about habitat? What kind of creatures are lurking down there? Yeah, soil is definitely a below ground habitat. You know, when you think about just walking through the woods, if you're on a hike, as you're walking through the woods, there's different, you might walk through a pine forest and then an open prairie. Um, You'll go through that ecotone, that's kind of the mix of the forest and the prairie. There's similar things like that, but below ground, where different environments in the soil will support different microbes and different, um, basically different life down there. So there's bacteria, protozoa, there's nematodes, which which have a, do have a bad rap, but there's a lot of beneficial nem- nematodes as well as, um, as harmful ones. Um, fungi, arthropods, algae, there's a whole community. In fact, 25% of the Earth's biodiversity is found in the soil. The Rodale Institute has championed reduced till and no-till practices in farming. And I'm curious what effect tillage might have on the life that you just described. Well, a part of that matrix, if you want to put it into divide it by percentages and put it into this pie, 25% of the soil uh, of a healthy soil is generally water. 25% is air, which so that that composes your pore space. About 45% um, is inorganic materials and 5% organic materials, which are which are your solids in the soil. That's really that matrix that we're talking about. And so when you run a tiller through the soil, especially the deeper you go, you start to impact that, that those percentages, you, you just, 
you cause compaction by just disrupting the soil pore continuity, continuity um, and creating, uh, you know, basically that 25% of air gets disrupted. And then it just, if you can think of, you know, think about it, it just kind of collapses onto itself and compacts the soil. Um, it exposes organic matter to the air, which then leads to breaking down of that organic matter and in decomposition happening a lot faster. It damages the fungal networks that are really important in the soil. And it reduces the soil food web habitat in general. So um, I, we've talked about before in the in, in other episodes, we've talked about the exudates that come out of soil, out of roots that feed the bacteria in the roots. So when you break it up with the tiller, you are reducing the habitat that's allowing those exudates to be there and to um, interact with water, which makes them more available to uh, as nutrients, both to the, the microbes in the soil, as well as the roots for plants. Right. And tillage has been a cornerstone of conventional modern agriculture for a, a while now. And add on to that things like herbicides, pesticides, and fungicides, and um, synthetic fertilizers. And what impact does that have on soil health? Yeah, I mean, the, those things just continue to, when you put all that together, you continue destroying the, the microbial community. And it's the microbial community that uh, is holding the carbon in the ground and keeping it out of our atmosphere. And it's what is keeping the, the microbes and the arthropods and in, just the insects moving through the soil are what are, that they create this system that allows infiltration, the roots and those, that animal life, um, fauna going through the soil creates these tunnels that allow for infiltration of the soil. So if you cut that piece off by killing the microbial community or the insect community that is moving through the soils, you eliminate what is essentially a natural tillage because it's a natural, much more gentle tillage of, of opening up the soil and allowing for that 25% air, 25% water. So what you're describing, all this life in the soil, all these invertebrates, all these microbes moving through this underground city is very much against the idea that soil is just this substrate that holds the plant up. You know, it's this thing that can be sterile. And as long as it's acting as a medium that can deliver nutrients to the plant, we're okay. But that's not really the case, is it? No, it's, um, it is a living organism and it. And within its own, its own biome, really, its own space, it supports, it supports tons of organisms. And without those, without those organisms, we really don't have a functioning, viable, aggregated soil. And uh, as an example of that, fungal, fungal filaments, for example, they hold soil together and they keep it aggregated. And when bacteria, they will, they, they exude kind of like a, um, a, a sticky material that, that literally sticks the soil particles together and keeps that aggregate together. So, you know, when, when you either till or apply fun or apply, um, biocides, you, you just break that up and you make it so those those uh, networks don't exist, or at least are not as healthy as they could, should be. We'll talk a little bit about mycorrhizal fungi, which is sort of this interface between plant roots and soil. And they have this sort of wonderful way of getting nutrients to the plant, but also taking in what they need from the exudates that you just mentioned. If you're walking through the woods and you tear off a, you know, there's a fallen down log and you kind of, the the bark is starting to slough off and you, you pull off that slough and you see these 
white filaments going through on, onto the log. Those are, that is the mycorrhizae that you're talking about. Those are the fungal filaments that, that we see. And that, and there are all throughout the soil surface or soil, the soil zones. Mm -hmm. And um, they interact, the mycorrhizae interacts with soil, with plant roots and it, it can extend the surface of plant roots by 10%, uh, allowing the roots to be able to access water and phosphorus and zinc more readily than they would be able to. So in a lot of environments where maybe it's it's a dry, drier environment, that's how a lot of plants survive is through these mycorrhizal symbiotic relationships where they they connect to each other and the mycorrhizae give the soil give the plant more water help it find more water and not only do, do they go a further distance but they're smaller in diameter than the roots often are and so they can get into cracks and crevices that roots can't get into and so you know they provide water phosphorus zinc and um they press pests and diseases and and help to build soil aggregates all of that for plants while while plants give back these nutrients and the exudates that they that they give off well so this ecology that you're describing sounds like a perfect way to grow things how do we avoid messing it up within a farm system right well um i mean the best way to avoid messing it up is to is to stop tilling if you are tilling stop tilling deeply if you're you know not everyone is gonna just immediately turn to a no-till system but even just reducing your tillage by instead of you know if you have um you know you have a plot with three beds in it that you're going to be planting instead of tilling that entire plot just to just till where the beds are exactly that 18 inch strip just till that space and leave the other space as it is with weeds and mow between it. You could use, a, if your soil is very compact, you can use a subsoil or that's just basically like taking a straight metal rod into the ground and pulling it through the soil to remove some of that compaction. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't break it up and till it up, which then further, further deteriorates the soil. Um, using cover crops like we've talked about, because again, the roots of the plants uh, that they act, they do the natural tillage roots of plants and the animal life that live in the soil do the natural tillage for you. And the roots depend, especially with a, a diverse cover crops and diverse plant rotation, you get diverse root systems and some that spread out really far and shallow some that go root are tap roots and go really deep they do all sorts of there's all different structures for a root system and the more diversity you have in that the more diverse your soils um your your soil network will be and that just adds it adds exudates to the soil it adds little tunnels for water to fil filter in and for better infiltration. Um, uh, it provides nutrients for these bacteria and fungal communities and um, and just allows for your soil to be healthier. So cover crops are important as as we always we've been talking about a lot and your rotation, not growing the same thing on the same plot all the time that would help. That helps a lot with soil health and as well as with disease and pest management, because if you're constantly tricking the disease and, and pest pests and, and the vectors that are there and, you know, having and rotating out crops that don't have common diseases and common pests, then they're just not going to be prolific in your soil. Great. Thanks so much for joining us, Christy. Thank you. It's always great to be with you, Ben. Christy Wendelberger is the research director for the Rodale Institute Southeast Organic Center in Chattahoochee Hills, Georgia. She's responsible for expanding organic farming practices throughout the Southeast through research, outreach, and education. Learn more about the Rodale Institute at rodaleinstitute.org. I want to take this moment to introduce our sponsor, Barn to Door. 
They're doing a new segment aimed at helping farmers, and you'll hear that later in this episode. But who are they? Barn to Door powers farmers who sell direct, helping them increase sales, access customers, and save time. They help farmers meet buyers' expectations through easy ordering and an accessible brand across online channels. Farmers use software, services, and resources from Barn to Door to manage and promote their business. The bottom line is this. Farms that provide convenient buying and delivery options reach more buyers. Data show farmers can double revenue when they offer online subscriptions and direct delivery. Promote your brand, manage your orders, and keep your profits with Barn to Door, providing the capabilities and support you need to build a thriving farm direct business. Learn more at barntodoor.com forward slash tractor time. Okay, we'll jump right into this discussion with Andre Liu, Ronnie Cummings, and Vandana Shiva, which was moderated by Acres USA General Manager Ryan Slaybaugh on October 13th. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you for joining us today, everybody. Uh, my name is Ryan Slaybaugh. I'm the General Manager and Publisher of Acres USA, and I'm joined by an amazing group of people today. And I uh, really appreciate uh, the conversation we're about ready to have. Um, this is the official book launch for Andre Liu's new book, Growing Life, Regenerating Farming and Ranching. Um, and it always feels like time stops a little bit when we, we have this trio on stage together. Uh, it was about three years ago that Andre Liu, Vanadeshiva, and Ronnie come and sat on stage with us at our conference and talked with Fred Walters at the time about uh, the challenges they faced in their life, the progress they've seen within this movement of encouraging non-toxic farming and uh, a return to nature within our agriculture systems. And one of the things he asked you guys was, why do you have hope? And I thought we'd start there uh, today as we do introductions and just ask you guys to talk a little bit about that concept of what keeps driving you uh, in this uh, overall. Uh, overall, I thought we'd start with, uh, uh, real quick, I'd introduce Dr. Bannon Shiva. Uh, one of the things you told Fred uh, was that you felt you had hope because you were never working against your conscience and that you never had doubt that what you were doing was right. And that gave you all the energy in the world to keep moving. And I wondered, you know, three years later, the world's a, a, quite a bit of a different place in three years. And I wondered how you still felt about that. And, uh, and, and well, it, even more, even more than three years ago, and with all the amazing work, like the book that we are releasing today, Growing Life, I have a lot of hope because, like I often say, we are not atlases carrying the earth on our shoulder. We are earth beings being carried by the earth and her amazing potential. And what I love about the book is, you know, for years, and I'm, I'm trained in physics and quantum theory, and biology was very far from me, or I was very far from biology. But through agriculture, I've learned a lot. And photosynthesis and the amazing molecule of life that uh, um, Andrew talks about, you know, not only do you work with your conscience, but when you're allied with the power of the soil, of the plants, of the earth, of Gaia, you have to have hope. You know, things will pass. There'll be some destruction. There might be a few more COVIDs. There might be a few more homeland security laws. But at the end of it, this big, um, you know, uh, big rainbow of life will flourish on its own terms. And our work is to be aligned with it. And that's why I respect Acres. I, and that's why we founded Regeneration International. And to me, it's quite, you know, we live in a period of propaganda. We live in a period of COVID, but we live in a period of propaganda. And in the period of propaganda, everyone assumes the propagandists will set the terms. But look at how regeneration has emerged as the discourse of our time, including the fact that I'm getting calls from the say so we want to start regeneration and will you give a talk? So regeneration is what gives me hope. I, I appreciate that. Uh, Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you're the co-founder and international director of the Organic Consumers Association. And, and, and you answered and certainly involved in the creation of Regeneration International and been at the table for, for quite a while with this discussion. And you answered Fred in an interesting way. And you said, because, well, first you answered, you had hope because you, you like to drink a little wine in the evening and that always gives you a little hope. But the other way you answered it was uh, because we're winning and you've seen the progress that we've made through and how the conversations have changed. And, uh, and, and you have a unique perspective on that. And I wonder, 
you know, today uh, with, with in, in light of Andre's book and this new conversation that we are having that uh, Dr. Shiva mentioned, um, how, how do you feel today? Well, I'm, I'm very hopeful in spite of we've had a rough year and a half around the world, but I'm still very hopeful. I think, I think this crisis has focused people's attention on just how important uh, health is, health of the planet, health of the humans, the animals, the biodiversity. And I think we're coming out of this uh, crisis uh, at a time, just at the right time, because we've got to solve a lot of problems, including the climate problem, uh, including the uh, the forced immigration and the poverty and the war and conflict. And uh, I keep hopeful by uh, spending a lot of my time in the in the global south, south of the border of uh, the U.S., and working with young people. And this morning, I I watched. Uh, Dozens of our young workers come to work uh, right at sunrise here. We start at 7.30 here in Mexico in the morning. And this is the future of uh, organic and regenerative, these young people. And they're very enthusiastic. They're very excited. And they're going to uh, learn from our elders, people like Andre and Vandana. And uh, we're going to go forward. We're going to solve all these problems. And we're going to enjoy ourselves as we do so. Andre, the man of the hour, uh, thank you again for taking the time and effort to put this book together. I think it's really important. We've been talking about this concepts of regenerative farming for some time, but we really haven't been able to, to uh, illustrate it and put it together in, in a way that would communicate tactics that are really being practiced today on the ground. These are not new tactics. These are tactics that have been uh, you know, in, involved in millennia that we've forgotten in many practices, in many, many areas. And uh, it's really in, to to see three you know, people on stage right now with us in three different countries talking about this same cause, uh, despite our differences in backgrounds and, and, and education and, and, and experiences in life that we found, we can find common ground to move forward through this conversation. And that's where I really feel this book is so important is it's gonna give us a vocabulary to move the conversation forward. Um, I'm gonna stop talking here and let you uh, take on, but um, why did you have, it takes a lot of hope to write a book. So uh, why did you sit down to write this? Technically, this is actually my first book, <laughs> and it's it's a lifetime's work. And it's I suppose the, the irony is I, I can thank the last eighteen months that I, I've had the time to to finish it off. But it's really I can say a lifetime of farming. Um, I started farming fifty years ago, and can I say, Ryan, it's Acres USA's 50th anniversary this year, and it's mine as a farmer. And in that time, it's what I've learned on my own farm, but I've also been very privileged that in that time, I've been on more farms on every arable continent, probably than anyone, meeting with farmers and, and learning and observing. So it is based on a lot of experience on this way to say what actually works what i've tried to do is put in the actual science the science you could say of agroecology of biology as to you know how things work instead of before it's all all about you know it's supposed to be reductionist chemistry and chemicals but we're talking about life and that's why it's called growing life and about the power of photosynthesis to make glucose or the very molecules of life and how that feeds the soil microbiome and biodiversity. And that's how we build soil and soil fertility. And that's how, you know, by going out from there, that's how we get good yields. And it's, I suppose, really importantly, this is not theoretical. This is based on the fact that, you know, in the end, I did become a very successful farmer. I appreciate that. And that's, that's a good segue into a question I wanted to get from this group is, and really make sure we got recorded um, and attached to this book is uh, the real world practices that you have seen collectively that um, are working just to be real trite about it and simple, um, because I still think there's a lot of skepticism that we need a lot of artificial implements in our agriculture system to achieve our goals. And uh, what you three have taught me more than any 
muddy is that how um, incorrect that can be and how efficient a natural system can actually be when in, in implemented and, and, and managed. So uh, could you talk about some of those real, you know, beyond your own farm, Andre, that what you're seeing and uh, Ronnie and, and Dr. Shiva, please jump into. For me, you know, Bandana and Ronnie, we're, we're all good friends, but all of us actually have farms and working farms. Um, Nabdanya is a superb farm and, and one which would normally this time of year, this is where I'd be in October um, in, 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 in the Himalaya. And also Ronnie's farm, um, uh, Via Organica in San Miguel de Allende, is also, you know, a working farm and a very productive farm. So what, what I'd like to get, you know, to let everybody know here is that we aren't just talking theoretically. We are people with dirt under our fingernails and actually we do it. And I think that is really important that we, we've learned by doing, all of us, the three of us, have also been on every continent and seen multiple examples. So we're talking about the real world. And all of us actually have higher degrees too. We're actually, you know, um, well-educated as well. So, so, so we, having said, we, we know the science. So that's where I, I, I want to do the segue here, that people are sceptical, but we're talking about the real world here. And we're talking about that, you know, nothing theoretical. We're doing it. And it's not just us. There are, um, say, millions of smallholder farmers who are doing it. And this is the really important thing about this is that this is a revolution. It's a really important revolution. And part of growing this book is to help this revolution so that more farmers can get this information and we can change agriculture from being one of the greatest problems for the environment and health to being one of the most important solutions. Yeah, I totally agree why, you know, we bring a common but unique perspective. Common shows that it doesn't matter. You could be Australia and in India, in US, Mexico. The principles of ecology are the same principles. They don't change. Even colonization can't make them change. Industrial farming can't make them change. Globalization rules of WTO, where we said, keep food and agriculture out of free trade. They can't change. Yeah. So what are these principles? These principles are precisely the principles that Andre has articulated. And what I find, what I find so inspiring about the book is, you know, I came into agriculture looking at the disaster of the Green Revolution in Punjab and how the chemicals had absolutely destroyed the soil, the farmers' lives. The protests of Indian farmers are totally linked to the Green Revolution and globalization of agriculture. And the thesis was chemical fertilizers will create a miracle and Norman Borlaug gets a Nobel Prize. But souls are desertified, farmers are in debt, farmers are committing suicide. And, um, and if we look at the picture on the greenhouse gases, 50% comes from an industrial globalized system of bad food that's making us all sick. On the other hand, just focusing on the central theme of the book, growing life. How does life grow with the amazing miracle of photosynthesis, where the carbon dioxide is taken and the sun shines free and, and then we get the molecule of life and everything we need along with the oxygen to breathe. People died in India during COVID because of lack of oxygen. It is so vital to our survival. And the plants give it as a byproduct of giving us food and a byproduct of being better carbon capture systems and all, all, all the industrial installations the billionaires are thinking they'll make new money from. We started to then intensify. We said, we don't need chemicals. We'll intensify biodiversity and its functions. And our work on health per acre, nutrition per acre showed that we can actually feed two times the world population. So the miracle of photosynthesis is the answer to hunger. It's the answer to disease. It's the answer to climate change. It is the answer to biodiversity erosion. And it's the answer also to desertification and the water crisis. Now here you have just partnering with the miracle of life and understanding growing life. It's a path for anyone who's concerned with climate change, with racism, 
It doesn't matter what you're concerned with. In Growing Life, you have an answer on how to make your movement grow. So Growing Life is about growing movements. Uh, Ronnie, what do you see in Mexico? Um, down, you know, uh, we don't always hear a lot about agriculture in the in the states of what's going down there in Mexico. And I know there's just some amazing things that you guys are doing on your research farm and in your communities. Yes, well, I mean, Mexico is a very interesting uh, country. 128 million people uh, live in Mexico, and then there's 38 million Mexicans living up in the United States. Uh, and the, one of the differences in Mexico is uh, 100 years ago, uh, the people rose up and they overthrew the feudal system of the haciendas, like where I am right now, uh, for 15 miles uh, into town. Uh, it was one hacienda in 1910. Uh, and the people who lived in this valley all worked for the uh, masters on the hacienda. Uh, and these these folks were from Spain, uh, Galicia. They they actually knew a bit about farming and how to farm in semi-arid areas. The Spaniards uh, they had some uh, some interesting things that they uh, that they were doing with water capture and so on. Uh, and but it was a form of slavery, and people rose up and they overthrew that, and the land got divided up. Uh, in the Mexican Revolution to where every every family was part of a rural community. They call them ejidos. Uh, and they got most of the land uh, that, the, uh, that the elite had owned before. And so it's been a challenge for the last 100 years uh, for people who do control their land. In Mexico, these ejidos, unlike most places in the world, there's 28,000 ejidos or rural communities. They control 53% of the land in Mexico. The problem is that they never got any support, uh, for the most part, from uh, governments. And, uh, you know, certainly the United States uh, didn't, didn't help out very much. So it's been a struggle. But we're, we're seeing now the potential for taking what, I mean, I can look out there. That used to be a savanna here uh, 400 years ago, the Spaniards deforested everything for the silver mines. And now our job is to regreen the desert, as we point, it, point out. And we have been able to tap into indigenous knowledge, uh, native plants and trees like agave and mesquite, uh, combined with the traditional milp of the corn and beans and squash, uh, raising the livestock in a not confining them, but a we use rotational grazing and so on. And it's a, it's we're we're not only growing life, we're growing hope. Uh, when we first started 12 years ago, most of the young people here in the valley, like most young people in rural Mexico, were just thinking, how can I get out of here? You know, it's like it's so dangerous to travel up to the United States. You know, it's. You get robbed, you get raped, you then you're treated like a criminal when you get to the border. And we've seen right in front of our eyes, young people, once they are presented with an opportunity to have a positive solution, uh, they get excited about it. You know, uh, once you bring them into contact, a lot of our workers here are agronomy students who have graduated from universities. They come here for intern. And so they get to interact with the uh, the rural campesino, the young people, and it's it's beautiful to see. Uh, so our one thing the regeneration movement has learned is search out the best practices that already exist. We don't need to invent stuff. Uh, indigenous and traditional methods are out there. So like tomorrow, uh, very typical thing we're going to do, we're going to load up a couple of pickup trucks with the, the young people here, and we're going to go visit a reforestation project about a, an hour from here. Uh, and we do this regularly, and we're starting to identify all the best practices, and then we can basically bring people here to see what we're doing with the fermented agave, and we go out and we see the best practices. So I think we already have everything being done that needs to be done, but a lot of these best practices, no one knows about them uh, outside of a small area. Our job is 
to promote these and to build this grand synergy between all the regenerators that are already out there. And keeping in mind that the, uh, you know, the uh, grassroots and the youth uh, are the going to be the, the future leaders. So let's pay attention to developing that new uh, leadership. We're going to hit pause on this interview for a brief segment from our sponsor, Barn to Door. Hey, this is Sebastian from Barn to Door. We help farms sell direct. And for this week's Farmer Spotlight, we have Joelle Oram from Oram Farms in Howard County, Indiana. We invited Joelle back onto our direct farm podcast after one year to see how things are going for their farm business. Here's what she had to say. I think in the past year, we've learned more about our customers. And because of that, we've been able to tailor our content more to them and less to who we're trying to get to become our customers. So, you know, we might have an idea in our mind who our customer is, but then we learn it's somebody completely different. And it can change over time as well, especially when you're adding new products and things like that. So our move to e-commerce, you know, with Barn to Door, it creates a more solid reputation for us because previously, you know, we were just using a little payment processor and collecting orders, you know, maybe through Facebook or messaging or something like that. So because we have such a strong online presence, it's creating a, a solid reputation for our customers. So because of that, we've really been approached by several other companies and businesses either wanting to partner with us somehow or a lot of restaurants wanting us to supply beef for them. If you'd like to hear more from Joelle, you can find her episode on the Direct Farm podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Or if you'd like additional resources for your farm business, you can go to barntodor.com slash resources. Thanks for listening. You know, one of the things, and we have a good crowd here today and an audience of, of advocates for what we're talking about today. And I think one of the things when Andre and I were talking about this book early on, we really did talk about the risk of defining regenerative too much as a minimum standard to reach versus a lifelong uh, pursuit of moving down a spectrum and continually to improve and get better. Um, and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that is, is how, how do we walk that tight rope as a group when we're trying to, to advance this movement together of over-defining what we're talking about um, while allowing and being accepting of those others and diversity within our ranks and making sure that we haven't perhaps made the same mistake we made within the organic movement of creating a minimum standard for everybody to reach and then say they've made it. And how do we how do we prevent that from happening um, with the regenerative movement? Uh, Andre, you want to start us with that? Yeah, look, it, it, it's a... Uh a really important question because I suppose from my point of view as, as one of the regional people who was involved in getting up standards in the early days, you know, in, in my case, um, in the 80s and early 90s, um, you know, it came from us as farmers and we originally just had one page standards <laughs> and then they became regulatory systems and at that point they became a two-edged sword. When we first, as farmers, put them out as a way of ensuring the integrity of what we're doing to stop greenwashing or people saying they're organic when, they, when they're not, once they became regulatory systems, it actually, in the end, became, became a burden on, on farmers. And also, unfortunately, when, when we look at the US and we look at Europe and other places, it Standards now become quite divisive as to what is in, what is out. What we need to do in the regenerative system is actually just use a fairly simple measurement or way of looking at our farming systems. And the opposite of regeneration is degeneration. And anything, any practice that is degenerative like spraying Roundup or, you know, using toxic chemicals, um, destructive tillage. If you start looking at a whole range of issues, just clearing biodiversity, um, big monocultures, all these issues are degenerative, is not regenerative. And also it's not just farming, but when we look at the impact on our societies, you know, Anything, for instance, when we start 
looking at smallholder farmers around the world, and, and the majority of farmers are actually women. And, you know, these women aren't allowed to own land. They're not allowed to have their own bank accounts. That is degenerative. And so we need to start looking at the bigger picture as to is it, you know, regenerative? In other words, is it making things better? Are we growing it or are we taking things backwards? And for me, it's a really important narrative as to where we're going with this planet. We're at, on the edge of multiple catastrophes, climate crisis, biodiversity crisis, health crisis, we can, democracy crisis. The, 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 these are huge issues. And using the, con the bigger concept of regeneration is a really important way for us to analyze it and look at how we go forward to building the better planet that we want and the better future that we want. Appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Shiva, do you have something to add? Yeah. So, you know, the word regeneration means there's something generative that needs regeneration. So the first is just getting rid of the assumption the earth is dead, the soil is an empty container for pouring nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium into, the seed is an empty container to just be genetically modified. This emptiness, I call it the shift from terra madre to terra nullius. Terra nullius as a colonizing concept, the people are not human beings, and then it is empty of life. So growing life is important because it allows us to bring life back in terms of our relationship with the earth and not have the relationship of colonizers, of dead earth syndrome, of the idea that war chemicals as inputs run an agriculture system when it is a system of growing life in the soil, in the plants, in our gut microbiome. I, you know, and I hope you'll take this to the next step, Andre, and make another one where all the other connections. I mean, with, with Acres, we did do the book on, on food and health. And, uh, and this is not your first book. You've done the books on pesticides, uh, which are also absolutely important. Uh, but thank you so much for putting this together because it brings together what people are doing all over the world and what the science is telling us. And those who use the word science as capital S for propaganda are the most scientifically illiterate, but because they have power, they think their illiteracy will never be found. I think growing life is shows that agriculture is not about industrial inputs, it's not about commodities. Agriculture, particularly regenerative agriculture, is a process. And it's the process that we must understand. And that's what growing life helps us understand. Therefore, we don't have to find the minimum standards or the maximum bureaucracy. You know, and that maximization of bureaucratic control is where the corporations want to take us including by taking everything we built, you know, we, I wrote Soil Not Oil, we built the whole regeneration movement in terms of the soil's capacity to recycle carbon. And now they're turning this into the next conditionality for continuing to emit while they will decide exactly how agriculture will run. And that's the language of net zero. So growing life and regeneration is a process of waking up to the to the life-giving capacities of the earth, her biosphere, her biodiversity, her living soil, and the soil food web, all of which have been brought to us in such detail with the example of all the living farms and the living molecule. So we have to shift the metaphors from the death metaphors, the killing metaphors, to the guiding metaphors of life, from the molecule of life to the growing of life. Uh, uh, Ronnie, um, we're going to head to the home stretch here and wrap up today. Would you, um, one of the things I wanted to make sure we were all armed with is some, some understanding of what we can do uh, individually and what we can do. And, and you're very good at, at helping uh, empower individuals to create positive change. And I wondered if you would help bring it home today. And I want to give everybody a chance to do this and I'll finish with Andre uh, as well, but uh, uh, and talk about what we can do to feed the right dog, to feed that regenerative dog uh, um, with our activities and, and, and help bring this, uh, the concepts behind this book out into reality. Well, I think one of the reasons why we selected regeneration for the name of 
Regeneration International. I remember the conversations with Andre and Vandana, myself and others. And there were some people who wanted to say, oh, let's call it the world agroecology movement, or let's call it the food sovereignty movement, or, or you know, and those are good terms and they're very important to understand. But we voted very strongly for calling our new movement regeneration, you know, the next stage of organic, uh, because we liked how broad the term could be seen. Uh, and this relates to the fact that the people trying to make the world better, uh, a, lot of, a lot of folks and organizations are still in these silos uh, where you got a peace movement over here, you got a good government movement over here, you got a natural health movement over here, you got the organic movement over here, you got the climate movement over here, and uh, we need to be operating in a grand synergy. We need to break down the walls between our silos and come together around a common uh, goal. And I think regeneration encapsulates that. And one of the reasons why I believe it does is because we're talking about regenerating the spirit as well as the body and the environment and the economy. It's uh, the Zapatistas, one of the interesting things they said back in 1994 when they rose up for a second land reform in Mexico is they said, you know what, There's, there, we're not afraid to die in this struggle if necessary because there's... The death of the body is terrible. We don't want to die before our time. But the death of the spirit is even worse. And what has happened across the globe is that this global elite has successfully killed the spirit of the body politic uh, in many people and many locations. And we have to get that back. Uh, and regeneration connotes understanding we're a global community, north and south. We are a, a community of people trying to make things better from all kinds of different perspectives. And we need to respect one another. We're not going to agree on everything as we go forward. But one thing we can agree on is that we want to regenerate the earth. Uh, and for ourselves, our kids, our grandkids, the future generations, and if you tune in to the positive best practices examples around the world, you can help, you know, get the strength we need to go forward because the degenerators are getting more and more powerful and more and more authoritarian. And they're trying to divide us. Uh, and they have been successful in certain ways, but uh, I just, I see all around me the positive. I think we're going to win this. We're going to have a global uh, grassroots rising. That was the title of my book last year about regeneration and climate. Uh, we are going to have this global rising, and it's going to be based on, you know, regenerators. Uh, and how can you tell a regenerator? Well, look them in the eye. Uh, they have a <laughs> smile on their face. They're enjoying life as we go forward. The, the struggle uh, to me is a, a joyful struggle and uh, I'm willing to go down with my with my boots on if necessary, but I think we have a, a good chance at regenerating the earth uh, and um, we need to start doing it or improving it today and every day. Andre, thank you so much for writing this book um, and for getting this group together to have this discussion today. Um, I wanted to to leave you with a, a chance to, to, to bring us home too and, and, and leave a message with everybody that they can uh, take to their neighbors and friends and pass along as well, so. So look, the reason I wrote this book is it's essentially a 101 on regenerative farming, on the how to do it, to, to empower farmers to show that you don't have to buy fertility in bags and spend thousands of dollars on synthetic chemicals and buy pesticides. We can use biology. We can use life. And that all comes from the most important, how can you say, event that ever happened on this planet. And that's, that's the beginning of photosynthesis, of using solar energy 
to take carbon dioxide and water and build the basic molecule of life, the building block of life, glucose. And we, that, that molecule then feeds diversity. And that's the really important thing here is the soil microbiome. But then, you know, we talk about instead of the monocultures, we're talking about the more diversity, the more solar energy that we can, I can say, more solar energy we can collect through leaves to build these organic molecules to feed biodiversity, the more productive we make our farms. And then I go into how we can use it for building soil fertility, how we can use it for pest and disease control, how we can use it for weed management. It's all part and parcel of the same thing, but it all starts from this most important revolution that ever happened, photosynthesis. The other thing I really want to end on is what both Vandana and Ronnie were saying is, is this, this book's about hope. It's showing that at the moment, you know, all around the world, we have an exodus of farmers and it's a, it, it's a cruel exodus. And a lot of that exodus is actually done through suicide around the world. In most countries, it's not talked about. But in our side of agriculture, like organic agriculture, the opposite is happening. We are growing farmers. We work. And this is, this is a book about how we can regenerate agriculture. And it's, in, and it's a book based on practice and hope. And in the end, the other thing I really want to say, which is really important, is this, is that we are winning. That most people here um, five years ago wouldn't have heard the word regeneration. When Vandana, Ronnie and I sat together and put the, and, and, and with a few other close friends and put together this concept of Regeneration International and getting the word out, regeneration, we changed the global conversation. It's a massive change. And this is a conversation of hope. And I want to you know, get that across. It's, it's tough at the moment. But believe me, we are winning and we will continue to win. There you have it. Go buy Growing Life at the AcresUSA.com bookstore. Use the coupon code OCTOBERPOD for 10% off on all titles. Acres USA is the premier North American publisher on production scale, organic and sustainable farming. For over four decades, we've helped farmers, ranchers, and market gardeners grow food organically, sustainably, and without harmful toxic chemistry. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tractor Time brought to you by Acres USA and Barn to Door. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube, iTunes, or anywhere podcasts are available. Also find us on acresusa.com, ecofarmingdaily.com, and don't forget to subscribe to our monthly magazine. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.